Hello everyone, this is your host, Jacob Sorum, and welcome to the first ever Skills Modules podcast. As you all know, the Skills Modules component here at Greenhouse Scholars is our way of producing high-quality, educational, and enjoyable content that teaches life, professional, and leadership skills. If you haven't checked out our Skills Modules yet, what are you waiting for? We have modules that can help you with upcoming interviews, teach you how to make a killer resume, prepare you for professional networking meetings, and even help you manage everyday projects in your life, at school, at home, or in the workplace. There are even modules that will make you a better decision maker, which if you've ever seen me grocery shopping, you'd know that I need to retake that one. We also have content about the power of maintaining a positive mindset in the midst of challenges and how to practice positive thinking every day. So that's just a brief list of some of what we have for you all. So please, next time you're scrolling Instagram looking for the next best meme, consider looking at one of our skills modules instead. Okay, I think that's enough housekeeping for today, so let's get to it. I'm excited for you all to hear today's episode all about advocacy. For this episode, I interview a lifetime advocate and Greenhouse Scholars community member and professional networking contact, Brian Bird. Besides being an all-around awesome guy, Brian brings 25 years of professional advocacy experience to our conversation, and it really shows. Now, before you start thinking that you don't need to listen to this episode because you don't think you're an advocate or that you're not going into a career field where advocacy will be relevant, you should think again. Because what you will learn from this conversation is that no matter what career field you're going into, at some point, you will have to advocate for yourself for your ideas or for others. Being an effective advocate means that you can motivate people around you about something. It means that you are persuasive and have the ability to understand other people's perspectives. In addition to these skills being the key skills of a successful advocate, they're also leadership skills. All right, without further ado, let's get started. I'm here today with a Greenhouse Scholars community member and professional networking contact, Brian Bird. Brian is the regional director of Defenders of Wildlife and brings 25 years of experience advocating for public lands, wildlife, and their protection. Brian, thanks for being here. Thanks, Jacob. It's great to be with you. So, Brian, could you go ahead and give me a brief overview of you know, who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, so I am the Southwest Program Director for Defenders of Wildlife. Defenders of Wildlife is an organization, a not national um, organization that is uh, a nonprofit. And so we've been around for about 75 years. And our mission really does emphasize the protection of wildlife. Um, that is imperiled or wildlife that is at risk of becoming extinct. So we have a fairly narrow mission and our headquarters office is in Washington, D.C., but I get to live in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, and here from Santa Fe, New Mexico, I run our Southwest program that consists of New Mexico, Arizona, and Texas. We're about seven staff in total across those three states. And so I get to sort of Uh, develop our agenda, our program of work. I get to help raise the funds to do that program of work. 
and then ensure that we're expending those funds in the way that uh, is most effective and the way that we said we would expend them to our to our donors and members. Awesome. That thanks for that that good description. I I did not know that Defenders of Wildlife was seventy five years old. Defenders of Wildlife goes back, yeah, over seven, just a little over 75 years. And it started as a small grassroots uh, animal protection group in Maine in the Northeast. And eventually it became the organization it is today with about 140 employees and a building that we own in downtown Washington, D.C., right near the White House. So it's come a long way. Awesome. Well, and Brian, I know we had talked about this before, but can you tell me a little bit about how you got into this field like what kind of showed you that this was the direction you wanted to take your your career well i think i'd always had a kind of affiliation for nature and animals um i always seemed to be as a child drawn towards animals um and you know when i was a young person my parents would send me off <laughs> during the summers to go on these backpack trips with a youth group and i would often go backpacking in the Sierra Nevada of California or even Alaska and Canada. And I just really realized through that program just how beautiful you know, nature is and how important it is that we give a voice to nature because it doesn't have a voice or an advocate, which is what we're going to talk about today. Um, and so it, you know, nature requires people to be its advocate. Um, and so, you know, as a child, I was already sort of leaning towards that, you know, personal affiliation. But when I got to college and I went to the University of Colorado, um, I graduated in 1990. Um, I was uh, getting involved in rock climbing out in El Dorado Canyon with a friend who introduced me to the to the sport. And I was also in an environmental studies class. And uh, the environmental studies class had us do a project. And I had learned um, when I was going out to do the climbing in El Dorado that there was a gravel mine proposed for that area that would probably have an impact on the environment and on the scenic beauty of El Dorado Canyon and you know a lot of trucks and dust and going in and out of the canyon. So for my project in that environmental studies class, I looked deeper into what was proposed and I made a presentation in my class about the project and um, got involved in kind of a grassroots group of climbers and residents out in El Dorado that wanted to stop the mine. And so that gave me my kind of my first taste of what it was like to be an advocate. And I really never stopped from there. That is a great origin story in, into getting into advocacy. And I have to say, Brian, um, you know, myself and, and on behalf of the thousands of other climbers who climb in El Dorado Canyon all the time, um, you know, what, what a, what a loss that would have been like, what a travesty El Dorado Canyon, you know, which some of our, our scholars may not know. It's this beautiful Canyon right outside of Boulder, Colorado that has some of the nations, if not, you know, uh, world, some of the best long multi-pitch climbing and um, it almost became a gravel pit. And so um, for instance, I'm climbing there this Saturday with some friends. So I, I thank you for- uh, Well, for I cannot that. take credit. I was, I, it was accidental that I got involved and there was actually a very well-organized grassroots group of people that were doing the work. And, but I was, it was a great experience for me. Awesome. Well, you know, you kind of set us off right there on 
the subject matter for today, which is um, advocacy. And, uh, you know, I, I think we like to think of advocacy as a life skill because it's critical for anyone that wants to make a difference in the world. And, you know, regardless of their career, education, where they live, et cetera. So I think we're at a good place to dive right in if you're ready. And I can go ahead and, and start us off with my first question, which is, in your opinion, what is advocacy? I think at its most basic, advocacy is standing up for something that you believe in, whether that's yourself as a person or something bigger than yourself, a cause where you join with other people uh, to promote something or, or stand behind something. And I think, um, you know, it was interesting how you started the conversation here a minute ago, because advocacy, although you may not think of yourself as an advocate, you're going to end up advocating at some point in your life and your career, whether you're, you know, working in a business environment or corporate environment, or whether you're working in a, a nonprofit environment like mine or politics, you're going to obviously, if you get into politics, you would be uh, advocating. And even in your day-to-day -day life, you're going to probably end up advocating. You might be having, you know, to advocate for yourself with your, uh, you know, for your electric bill or something like that, or your utility. But yeah, I mean, ultimately you're going to have to advocate at some point in your life. And so, you know, going off of that, so in your mind, do you believe that every person is an advocate regardless of what career they're in? I do think you're going to have to advocate at some point. I do think that some people are born with a bit more of a natural tendency to advocate. You know, those people that are loudest at the party or that are, that are the loudest at the, at the, uh, in the classroom, you know, they, they have that sort of that natural advocacy um, blessing, um, or you're going to develop it over time. But I do think everybody should develop advocacy skills because they're going to serve you, as I said a minute ago, in any, probably every environment you're in from your personal life to your professional life. So yeah, I think it comes easier to some people, but it's also a skill that is fairly easy to develop with a little practice. So here at Greenhouse Scholars, you know, we have we have multiple values, and one of them is is community change. And I, I think there's a clear connection with advocacy and community change. But another value of ours is leadership. And I'm wondering if you see advocacy and leadership being connected in any way. They are connected. Um, and as I would say, many leaders are good advocates, but not all advocates need to be good leaders. Now, I'm not saying that both those skill sets are important and you shouldn't develop them, but you can be an advocate and you don't necessarily have to be the CEO of a corporation or the uh, regional director of a nonprofit. Um, but there's a need for both those skills, obviously, out there. Um, I would say good leadership usually means enlisting others into a common cause and keeping them motivated towards that cause. And that is basically what you're doing as an advocate. Um, I think with leadership, you're sort of, you become the high profile person, the high profile advocate, but not everybody needs to take that profile. I mean, you can still advocate 
and have a lower profile in your organization or in your community. There are lots of ways to advocate that don't necessarily being that leader that's out in front of everything, that's getting interviewed by the media or is getting, you know, um, going to meetings with, uh, you know, politicians. So they're closely related. I think the skills are similar, um, but they're not necessarily something everybody has to possess both of them. I think that's that's a really empowering view of advocacy in that, you know, we all have ideas of famous advocates over time. You know, you can think of, uh, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. was a, was a very famous advocate. Um, but I think it's empowering to view things like advocacy as you can also lead from behind. You know, it, everyone who is a leader also has people who are who are being led. And, and I don't I feel like we have an idea of being led as a, a negative thing, but you can be an advocate regardless of, you know, your job title or whether or not you're even in the field that you're advocating for. Um, so I, that's a really great way to kind of frame how advocacy is, is really for anybody. It's a great uh, point, Jacob. And certainly Martin Luther King had a large support network that was there to help him, even though he ended up getting a lot of the credit. There were a lot of people working around him and doing the advocacy day to day and not getting the the profile. That's a good point. Thinking of advocacy and what it actually is, how do you go about moving someone towards the position that you want them to take? Yeah, that's a fundamental question. And that's ultimately what we're doing as advocates is moving people towards a position and um, hoping that we will get them to take action. You know, I think fundamentally it's, it's a few things, but I would say it's mastery of your content which means you really do need to understand the, sort of your argument. What are you, you know, what is it you're arguing for? What is it you're advocating for? Um, you need to know that information inside and out. So you need to have a mastery of your content. I think you really need to have good talking points, obviously. You know, you, you can't sit down and with everybody and get a half an hour of their time uh, to tell them and persuade them. You need to do it in, sometimes I like to call it the elevator pitch. You know, I, I try to tell everybody that I work with, you know, I need your, I need your two minute elevator pitch, you know, um, because it's, that's an incredibly valuable skill is to be able to be concise and brief. Um, and then finally, I would say persuasion. You really need to be persuasive. And this is going to come up, you know, over and over again. Being persuasive isn't always being obnoxious or being forceful or being in somebody's face. Persuasion comes in all kinds of different, uh, you know, forms. So it's mastery of content, good talking points, persuasion. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's obvious that you have to convince someone that there's value for them in your proposition. So you, somehow you're going to have to tell these people that if they get something out of, you know, this agreement that you're, you're trying to push. That's, that's great. You unpacked it that way. You know, I, I think of people who are advocating for something that are just coming off a little too aggressive or, um, you know, it, it just sometimes it's like, oh, you're not really selling me on this. While you can always know that identify the really advanced advocate in that, like, they'll find ways to connect with you uh, on the other side of an issue. And I, I think that you, you did a good job laying that, laying out those points on how to be a good advocate. Shameless plug, uh, Brian, you are in our professional networking directory, which all of our scholars uh, have access to. And I encourage them to, to connect with you. And 
in that directory, um, you mentioned three key lessons that you've learned over a 25-year career in advocacy. And I might, I'm just going to read them one by one and let you maybe unpack them a little bit. The first uh, lesson you, you wrote down was, form bonds with people before you ask for things. The first step in forming those bonds is to listen. Yeah, thank you, Jake. And that goes back to something you just said. And I think it's really critical that we understand who we're talking to and what they need and what why they're here in this room with you. Um, you know, understanding the person or the organization that you're trying to convince or understanding their position is just critical. So listening. You know, you just talked about how sometimes advocates can come off as loud and, and maybe the, you know, the biggest personality in the room. In my opinion, that's not always the way to, you know, convince people um, of your position. It's really listening. It's, a, it's important to develop rapport with somebody, you know, to develop some kind of, you know, interaction with them and find something that you agree on. I Whenever I'm going into an advocacy situation, whether that's going to our state capital to try to convince legislators or something, or whether that's going out in the field and convincing someone that, you know, they need to, you know, do something different to protect an animal or to protect an, a habitat, I always try to start by just getting to know them, you know, and asking them questions about who they are, where they come from, you know, trying to find some some mutual interests, you know, that's really ultimately what you're doing is trying to find those interests. So yeah, it's, it's about listening first. I love that. Um, yeah, I think, I think people's first, the first reaction we have is to act, um, you know, and, and I feel like acting is the third step in a three step process, which is like listening and thinking and then acting. And I feel like um, you know, it's the things you can accomplish when you actually listen to people is, is pretty astronomical. Very true. Uh, so, so Brian, the second thing you had written on your, your profile, as far as these, these lessons is to create a group of allies with mutual interests. So what does that mean? Yeah, well, it's pretty rare that you can be a successful advocate by yourself. I mean, it's, you'll see that once in a while, but it's, again, it's, it's not often you find people advocating alone. And you're going to need other resources of leverage besides yourself and your own arguments. Um, I don't think I can overemphasize this point that you're going to need to recruit others into your cause to be successful. Um, success in advocacy is far less likely if it's just you alone. You need to build what you know people call a movement, and so you know I, that's probably the part of advocacy that takes the longest is. You're not going to go from point A to point B by yourself quickly. You have to build that sort of that momentum and that movement and find out what, you know, your target, whether your target is a politician or whether your target is your, you know, the, the vice president of your department or whether the target is, uh, is the public. You need to figure out what is the, the levers of influence. What are they going to, you know, need to hear to change their position and come to yours and do something that you're asking them to do? And rarely can you do that alone because you don't always have, you know, those sort of those influences. So you need to kind of build out that map of where your influences are going to be. And you're not going to do that alone. You're going to do that with a group of allies. I think that 
point touches well with the third thing you had mentioned, which was building political power is slow work, which requires diverse alliances and patience. Yes, well, you know, I always like to sort of refer back to biological diversity. When you look at the any system, ecosystem, or any, you know, you look at you look at the ocean or something or a tide pool, what's the first thing you think about is how much diversity is in there. You don't just see one kind of fish or one kind of, you know, sea anemone. You see a lot of different kinds and they all have a role. And so it's the same thing with building political power. You need to have diversity in that. And, you know, because everybody's going to bring a different story, a different sort of position of power and all those different things. So alliances are critical, especially diverse alliances. And then patience. Yeah, that's probably one of my biggest lessons I've learned through my career is, you know, we all want, you know, instant gratification, especially in this modern world. But instant gratification in reality, you know, is pretty rare. Um, and so you need to, you know, learn to have patience. You're not always going to get the, to the win quickly. So building a political alliance and a political power base takes time. Hmm. You, you just mentioned something that makes me feel like, uh, I can't believe it never dawned on me. I, I studied environmental studies in, in my undergrad uh, and know all about ecosystems. And I'm just now for the first time attaching the, the <laughs> idea of the importance of diversity in ecosystems with the importance of diversity in politics in That's creating right. big tents. I mean, that's literally the number one measure of a healthy ecosystem is the number of diverse species. That's right. And we, we don't always think about it, but you pull one piece of that ecosystem out and it often collapse. You know, if you take out the wrong piece, you know, it's going to fall apart, you know. And so I think of that in politics and advocacy is, you know, you never know what's going to be that one little piece that was so critical to your success. Oh, that's so fascinating. Um, so uh, the... This next question I have, um, it's connected to this, this idea. And it's also, um, so, you know, I'm from the Midwest and I can go on a limb and guess that, you know, what you do with Defenders of Wildlife uh, makes you have to work with people who don't often see eye to eye with you and may even be on opposite sides of the aisle um, or the opposite sides of an issue than you. So how do you go about working with people who think, act, or believe differently than you do? Well, I think as humans, we're always going to have something in common, you know, whether, you know, the most obvious thing is when you get onto a Zoom call or a phone call, what is the first thing everybody talks about? The weather, right? You know, how's the weather over there? Well, that's something in common. I always look first for the something that we have in common. And that way we get off to a good start. I think you have to focus really on where you come close in beliefs. You may have, there may be a huge gap, but there's also something you're probably going to agree on. Um, it may be narrow, but it's critical that you actually find that. And I think, you know, I'll give an example here. I do a lot of work with livestock producers, ranchers, people that produce beef or, or lamb or, you know, out in, out in the wild, out in places where there are still wild animals that we're trying to protect. So one of the priority animals that I try to protect are wolves. And wolves, like that ecosystem issue we just talked about, are critical to ecosystems and balancing ecosystems and ensuring that deer populations are healthy and, and all the other things like that. So, but I'm out in the 
in really rural parts of New Mexico and Arizona where we're trying to bring back the wolf. And in fact, in Colorado, you may have heard recently, you know, Colorado is now going to bring back the wolf. So I have to work with my, my objective and goal is to find a place where cows and wolves can coexist to some degree in peace. <laughs> um, and that's not always easy. So I have to go out there and I have to meet with these ranchers. And very often, you know, they're on, they are on the exact opposite side. They want all the wolf gone. You know, any wolf is about. Whereas I am out there because I want the wolves to come back in healthy numbers. And so I often have to find that common ground with these people. And, you know, most often it comes down to, first and foremost, a love of the outdoors. You know, they love working in the outdoors. They're often from families that were raised working outside on a horse. I love being outside. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, I don't love horses, but I do love hiking and backpacking and skiing. And um, so Oftentimes, I'll find out that these people, we just both love the outdoors and we want it ultimately to be a place that is healthy and continues in perpetuity. So we start there. We start talking about what it is we love about the outdoors and then we get into some more details, you know. Okay, so is it difficult raising cows out here? Yes, because there's wolves, okay, you know. So we get into the, um, the parts that we don't agree on, but I always start with something we agree on. What about what, what advice would you give our scholars for just plain working with someone that you don't like? <laughs> well, you know, it's actually pretty rare that I come across somebody that I really don't like, but it does happen. Um, and I think the big, what I've come to learn is that you have to focus on your long-term goals. And at least you have to always put them in the back of your mind. Um, why you concentrate on what are your short-term goals, you know? And, and I think for me, it's letting things roll off my back and not letting something that annoys me about a person really get in the way. I mean, this is going to happen to you throughout life in every environment you're in. You know, you're going to have to work with people that you may not enjoy being around sometimes. And so you really just have to focus in on what it is you're doing together What's your common goal? You know, the things that bother you about that person, you really do need that to, to roll, you need to allow that to kind of roll off your back is what I say. Um, you know, the key to the key, I think, to anyone's success as an advocate, whatever environment you're in is not demonstrating your annoyance with somebody else or, you know, outwardly expressing annoyance. Um, try to I mean, I hate to say this, but try to remain as agreeable as you can. Um, I, it's not always easy to me. And that's, you know, a life lesson is learning how to sort of, you know, control your emotions. I just feel like that life lesson that you just spoke about is, is really important for advocacy, but it also spans all things. Like assuming people have best intentions, not assuming yeah. the worst um, is important you know, whether you're at school, at the workplace, I recently put together a skills module about living abroad. And I know that's a, such an important thing once it comes to cross-cultural communication or being in a different country, which is never assume the worst out of other people because it's probably just a misunderstanding or a misconception. Um, and so that it seems like that definitely is very true and important in advocacy as well. Yeah, and again, going back to my example with the wolves, you know, sometimes there's going to be parts of a, 
of a ally or somebody you're working with that you just really don't like. For example, with you know, some ranchers carry guns and they, you know, if they have an opportunity to shoot a coyote, they'll do it because that's something that they see as part of their, you know, job. I would never shoot a coyote. I don't want to shoot a coyote. I don't carry a gun. And I don't, and I just, I just, you know, even though we can never agree to whether or not it's right to shoot that coyote, we're going to find other places where we can agree and move forward. So it's kind of a, a gruesome example, but it's true. It's something I deal with day to day. Oh yeah. It's very true out in the Midwest. I know. Um, so um, you had mentioned earlier, you talked a little bit about long-term goals and I just want to follow up on that a little bit. Um, you know, how important is it to focus on long-term goals when it comes to achieving your, um, you know, I guess your, your mission with advocacy and, I guess my second part to that question would be, how do you know when you need to choose between a short-term goal versus a long-term goal? That's a great question. And I think ultimately it needs to be built into your plan. You know, I, I, you can't really do anything without a good plan. And so I think you need to build your short-term goals and your long-term goals into that plan because you're going to have both. Um, but you really do sometimes have to kind of lose sight of those long-term goals, or at least put them in the back of your mind as you're concentrating on whatever it is you're trying to do in the short term. And I think it can't be overemphasized to, to celebrate all those small victories because a lot of advocacy, whatever you're doing, whatever your long-term goals are, they're long-term for a reason. It's not going to happen right away. And you don't want to get caught up in, in getting there quickly. You want to enjoy those and savor those small moments. You're always going to have setbacks. Um, so it's important, as a, especially when you're working in a kind of a team, we talked about political power and, and having alliances. You want to be able to celebrate all those little tiny victories because it just helps you keep the momentum and keep people's attitudes positive as you work towards your long-term goals. As an advocate for wildlife and wild places in the southwestern U.S., um, you've already mentioned a few constituent groups, but you know I'm thinking of the alliances that you probably have to form between Native American tribes, outdoor recreationists, environmental groups, you know, natural resource companies, fishermen, hunters, etc. You know, when it when you you go about constructing, you know, or sharing a message in different ways with all those different groups of people. Um, like, how do you go about constructing that message in a way that finds common ground with all of them with, with such, you know, varying, um, I guess, perspectives? Well, it's not easy. And as we said, when you're working in diverse alliances, you're going to have probably different ultimate objectives. You might have different ways to communicate. You might have different messaging um, points and talking points. So, what I always say is you need to first find the bigger issues that you do have a common agenda on. Where, where do you agree with your allies or your partners? Um, you're always going to find differences when you get way down. Like I just mentioned with the coyote example, you get down to the nitty gritty, you're going to have differences. So you have to ask yourself or the organization working in, you know, can we work with someone that we might disagree with on certain issues, but agree with on the big picture? And you're probably going to end up having to adapt your message. Um, you may not agree, um, 
you know, to all the communications because they might make you slightly uncomfortable. So you have to decide how comfortable am I going to be with that message? Um, so it is a, it is a real challenge crafting, you know, sort of a communications plan that you can all agree to when you have differences. Um, you know, one of the things I've been lucky enough in the last few years of my life and career has been to work with um, a lot of groups that are in the immigrant rights community that are working for um, immigrant, you know, obviously immigrant rights. And, you know, their objectives were very, very different. But what I was working for was to ensure that um, our border, you know, our border policies are, are wildlife friendly. In other words, they still allow for wildlife movement, you know, on the border. And so we had to, you know, sometimes these groups used very strong rhetoric that was extraordinarily, you know, powerful, but wasn't always in my comfort zone. And so we had to find communications that we agreed to. And that was not easy. It took some work to do it, but we did in the end. Wow, yeah, that that is such a contentious issue. You know, just for the, the human side of it, of, of mm -hmm. you know, immigration and cross-border mm -hmm. uh, movement of people and then adding wildlife into that. I can only imagine, you know, how that could be a, a firebrand uh, yes. thing one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, we different groups from very different places came together to advocate for, you know, a common border policy. It was really interesting. Huh. Yeah, it, it sounds like, you know, this is a skill that, that you must have in, in being able to look at one issue and understand just all the different perspectives that people have about that issue and also how they reached those perspectives. Do you have any advice on, like, what would you tell our scholars about, you know, building that skill? Yeah. Yeah, it really comes back to what we talked about earlier. It's, it's, listening and i would say some humility you know you don't know other people's stories i mean we can't know them and it's really important to come at your relationships with some humility listen you know find out where they're coming from how did they arrive at their perspective i just can't sort of you know emphasize that enough to not come into a to a situation where you're going to be trying to find common ground by forcing your opinion or forcing your perspective right up front, you're going to have to work slowly up to that. And I think it's important just to really come at it with humility and listening skills. You know, not everybody has listening skills. It takes time to develop a good, you know, good listening skills. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I'd come at that. I'm curious about, you know, this is this is a, a downer, this question, but how do you keep the faith when it feels like no one cares that the political party in power is working against you, that, you know, you're experiencing big losses on the issue you're advocating for? Because I, I know that, you know, in today's world, um, people can feel overwhelmed and they can feel mm -hmm. just a sense of sadness or a weight on their shoulders about, issues that they care about that, you know, aren't going in the direction that they want them to go. And so I guess my question is, you know, how do you keep the vision and keep moving forward? Yeah. Well, first and foremost is acknowledging that that's okay to, you know, have those feelings. You know, you need to be, give yourself permission to sometimes feel, you know, like it's a lost cause or to feel anxiety over, 
some situation you're trying to deal with in life, whether that's inside your company or whether that's, you know, a political position. So first sort of just acknowledging it, that it's okay. But then also I think um, having an affinity group, you know, whether that's within your corporation or your organization or your friends or just your family, you know, have try to find some people with a similar affinity where you can get together and talk about how you're going to overcome that feeling of, of law of sort of not having power or, or not getting where you need to get to. There's always going to be wins and, and loses and losses. I mean, no matter what field you're in, um, you have to be able to, you know, continue to focus on the future when you have small losses and, recalibrate, you know, look at what happened, you know, how are you going to avoid that in the past and how are you going to move on and, and ultimately get to your, your goal. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a skill that takes time to develop. Um, but you gotta, you gotta keep the faith if you're going to remain strong and, and, and in the end successful. <laughs> uh, it, it reminds me back to Martin Luther King Jr. We brought up earlier his quote that, you know, the arc of the moral universe is long and it bends towards justice. Um, that's right. You know, that's, that's that long-term goal focus right there. Mm-hmm. That's right. So we, we've covered a couple of our values that we hold, um, you know, at the center of what we believe in here at Greenhouse Scholars, which was we had talked about leadership and community. And another one of our values is relentlessness, which is synonymous with tenacity, being tenacious. And my question is, how important is relentlessness or tenacity when it comes to advocacy? I think it's everything. I mean, I think certain people get endowed with more tenacity than others and are somewhat more naturally able to tolerate. We were just talking about the small losses and the long-term nature of advocacy. Um, but I do think you can build the skills to create tenacity. Um, you know, as I said earlier, celebrating small victories, acknowledging setbacks, adjusting your strategy, believing in yourself and believing in your goals. You know, that's really critical um, is believing in your goals. And I'm lucky in that I've created a career out of, you know, what I have always believed in from a young really a child, as I mentioned in the beginning of, you know, this interview, you know, I sort of built an affinity as a young person towards animals. And so I've been lucky. I created my career um, around that sort of deep internal desire, which has allowed me to have a long-term tenacity. So whatever it is that you really want in life, you know, I think that's where you get your source of, of tenacity and relentless drive. So whether that's, you know, helping others or, you know, whether that's building a big business, you know, you've got to find that place deep inside to, to keep yourself going. And I just say, finally, take a break and allow yourself to recharge. You cannot go hundred percent constantly. And if you are going that way, it's going to burn you out at some point. Um, so I just think it's so important to get back to the important things in life, take a break from what you're doing in your job, your career, your political advocacy, and go do something that you love, whether that's spend time with family, whether that's rock climb, whether that's take a bike ride, whether that's, you know, gaming, whatever it is, go do it, give yourself a break. You have to be able to, you know, grant yourself that, that 
that downtime to recharge. I'm hearing a lot of connection here with mental health, just things yes. to keep your mental health strong and positive. Absolutely. You can't advocate if you're if you yourself aren't in a good place. That's true. Well, Brian, we've arrived at my last question. I appreciate uh, all of your, you know, your time and answers so far. Uh, and my last question is, what can our scholars do right now, today, to become uh, better advocates for issues that they care about? Yeah, well, I think it's pretty short and sweet. You know, identify what it is you want to work towards, whether that's in your career or in your, you know, your organization you're working within, your, your business. And, and master your materials, you know, become the one that knows the most about, you know, what you care about. And then I would say practice your talking points and your arguments, you know, even if it sounds silly, you know, go in a corner of your house, or your room and practice, you know, you want to be able to, um, you know, do your elevator pitch, you know, practice an elevator pitch, whatever it might be, two minutes in an elevator. Um, and then I would just say, honestly, be friendly. Don't be stalwart. Don't be forceful in your opinions. I don't think anybody really likes that in a person. And if you're going to be successful, you know, you're going to have to come at this with a positive attitude and, and you know, be friendly um, in getting where you want to be. So best of luck to everybody. Awesome. Brian, it's been such a huge pleasure to have you uh, with me today. And thanks for taking the time to talk about advocacy. and. Um, you know, next time you're in Boulder, let's uh, let's meet up. Santa Fe isn't too far away. No, and I, I, I wish the best for all your scholars, and I hope this is helpful to everybody. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you found this conversation to be educational and useful. If you have any questions about advocacy, how you can learn to be a more effective advocate, or just to reach out and have a conversation with Brian, look him up in the professional networking directory and reach out. Now, before I sign off, I wanted to say one more thing. The only way we can make skills modules that you all find valuable is if you let us know what you want to learn. Please reach out to me, Jacob Sorum, about any topics, ideas, people, themes that you think are important for scholars to know and I will work to include them in a future module. Better yet, why not work directly with me and we can make one together? Whether it's more audio content like this podcast, a video series, visual art, written word, or music, let me know if you want to collaborate and make something inspiring for current and future scholars. Also, I think we need some intro and outro music for this podcast to be official. Let me know if you're interested. All right, everybody. As this is episode one, I haven't figured out a cool sign-off yet. So until then, take care, make time for yourself, and see you next time.